Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On today's edition, can Juve's 33-second wonder striker get them off to another speedy Gonzalez start when Real come to play in the second leg of the Champions League cracker? It's one all on aggregate. First leg honours are also even for two historically huge clubs of Europe. Will it be the Dutch or the Portuguese giants who live up to their historic pedigree in the decider? And Jose Mourinho, he sees red again. Andy was there to see the Roman candle flicker from one yellow to another and still come out with a result. Let's kick off with what was... <laughs> One of several great matches in the Champions League this yeah. week. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Villarreal and Juventus, it came out evens. Was that about fear, Lars? I mean, I guess it was. It, it was one of the... I don't think any, either team were, were super impressive here now. Um, I, I mean, we'll get on to him. I do think Vlaovic make a, it makes a big difference for Juventus because what's happened in what recent start. weeks. What a start! Yeah, man. the Incredible. goal was it's it's the goal is great, and the way he gets around the pitch, he takes a lot of shots. You know, he just makes them look a lot more dangerous uh, because the team as a whole is not looking that dangerous. I mean, Juventus recently the. They've started grinding. Like they've started, they're not losing a lot of games anymore. They're picking up points. They're winning more than they're drawing, and they're not losing much at all. But as as Nikki Bandini uh, of this parish said on her very good Serie A podcast this week, you do find yourself watching Juventus and thinking, I know there are other things I could be doing with my time." <laughs> it's just, it's not very thrilling. That's it just Nikki isn't true. True. It, 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 but that's kind of like that's that's what it's been with Juventus recently. But I do think Vlaovic changes that a little bit. Because if they can be solid at the back and not concede and not give up much, and you'd expect, you know, Allegri to to get that right at some point, and they have a an energetic young buck up front who's used to kind of fighting battles on his own at Fiorentina anyway, mm. you know, they could suddenly become a dangerous team again. But I didn't think they were super impressive here. And I thought it was kind of underwhelming game because you have a Juventus who's not quite free flowing and at their best playing against Villarreal who. You know, God bless him. Unai Emery obviously is good at these continental knockout ties, and you know he's he's done enough. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way of phrasing this. He's done more than enough in the game for him to for 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 the likes of me to sit here and tell him how to set up his team. Like obviously. But you just also watch Villarreal a lot and you think like, guys, you could just be a little bit more attacking than what you are. Because they're, they're just, there's something slightly constrained about them and it's kind of frustrating to watch. But, so, part, but- of that's, part of that's an image thing, isn't it? Because I think when you think of Villarreal as like plucky European underdogs from a small town who've played some very attractive football in the past in that very attractive strip. And you just think, 
Yeah, they're like crashingly realistic now. I mean, mm. th- this is like uh, a tie of the the crashingly realistics. Yeah, e- Emery <laughs> talked about how his his team came back into this. It and, sounds like and, a pop group. He's got the crashingly agree. realistic from the eighties, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm on your wavelength. I, I, I think when you look at the, uh, th- this this game and the way it's panned out and the way it looks as if the tie will pan out. It feels like it's going the distance. And I think you think of a lot of clubs and maybe even previous incarnations of Villarreal go 1-0 down in 30-odd seconds to Vlaovic. And as Lars was saying, magnificent goal. And that someone who's 30 seconds into a Champions League debut makes it not about that because it's like yeah I belong here can we can we get on with that the, 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 the way he sneaks he looks like that because the, the pass the pass is not an incredible pass it's a good pass mm. but he makes it look an incredible pass on his pass wrong foot with the control absolutely mm. on the wrong foot you know and you can kind of tell that the way that the ball is hit that that's not his favourite foot because well, it doesn't take the net off I suppose but I think the way he sneaks in between one of the best old defenders in Raul Albiol one of the best young defenders in Pau Torres and the look on Pau Torres' face is like he split them come on man give me, <laughs> he, give me a break it, he really did and I, I think a lot of other teams that sinks them and like I said, previous incarnations of Villarreal as well just don't get up off the canvas from that. But Emery talked about it. He talked about the experience in this team. And as well as being like quite unromantic, this Villarreal, as, as Lars was saying, you look at some of those players, you look at Albiol, you look at Capu, you know, even Jeronimo Rui, the goalkeeper, he's been around the block, even though he's one of the younger players in the in, in, in the team. Moy Gomez, you know, so many of them, Trigueros, like, players who they've lent on for a while and have, have been around different places. You know, they've still got that little bit with, with the sizzle of Chiquese and Jeremy Pino, who only gets a little bit here. There's, there's, there's a little bit more of that flair to go. I agree mm. with Lars, but there's also something very logical about them edging themselves back into the game. Uh, and also about the way, and I know we come to Adrian Rabio in a minute, but the way... <laughs> do we have to? Oh, we, we, we do have to. The, the, the way that for the equaliser, um, Parejo, who's not the fastest thing on two legs, gives him the slip and... He's got, I guess what they would say in Lockstock is you've got that what's going on here look slapped all over your Chevy Chase <laughs> because Rabio's, oh yeah, I knew I was meant oh, to yes, do something. Yes, something yes, I was yes, meant yes. to do here. Uh, that is, Maybe yeah. track a runner because yeah, I'm a central midfielder yeah. and I'm he's, kind he's of meant ten, to do that. He's 10 yards away from him. Yeah. Not a runner, a jogger. Remember what Andy said? Yeah, jogger. Yeah. A jogger, exactly. <laughs> Love me some Danny Parejo, by the way. If we're making a sort of list of... If we were to make a list of players in La Liga over the last decade who have been very good without playing for one of the big three, like Parejo would be very high on this list. I mean, I think he's been slightly 100%. unfortunate in his career. He was very, stayed at maybe stayed at Valencia for too long. Maybe wasn't quite, you know, at the level where the offers came in. But he's, he's such a lovely player. Weirdly, spent some time at QPR. We forget that he that, played. That is, what, that is one of those weird ones. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a Luke's game. Catch you out, isn't it? Oh, We've all spent some time at QPR. Um, yeah. Not playing, but you know about some. I think that Lars summed this game up well, though, because I think from uh, Juve's perspective, they would have looked very, very ordinary if it hadn't been for mm. Vlavic, somebody who we've talked about on OTC several times, and mm. I don't think. I certainly haven't quite understood what difference he can make. I think in this Juve side, it's clear to see mm. who's going to be the man of the match every single time. They need yeah, 100%, him there. 100%. They need him there as much as West Ham need Antonio able to play up front on his own because it loosens up the midfield for them. Yeah. It just spreads them right Absolutely. across the pitch. And, and it does speak to his mindset as well, Vlavic, because he's still a young fella, mm. to go straight into Juventus and just this is this, this is my team now. I'm yeah. going to be the main man up front here. Just like from that. day one, it almost. Did look like that when he did. He hasn't been like great Macaulay. in every game. I mean, he wasn't great against Torino, but you know, he's just looked the part. Generally, it's breeding, isn't it? It's like Macaulay yeah. Culkin and Richie Rich, basically. <laughs> it's not really where I. <laughs> I wasn't going there either, mate. <laughs> well, well, I was thinking, watching that first goal, maybe it's because maybe your brain goes there because he was linked with Tottenham and he was supposedly their sort of Plan B if if Kane managed to sort of get his will and get out of the club last summer mm. um, 
and the fact that I maintain that Vlaovic looks a little bit like a Serbian Darren Anderson from, from certain directions. <laughs> but there's something about the way he gets around the pitch and the way he's happy to shoot from, from any angle and the way he's very good at getting those Serbo shots Croat, off. just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to start any kind of... I'm rocks, just saying, there's, you know? a way, there's something about the way he moves and the way he gets his shots off that does remind me of a sort of young prime Harry Kane, really, in Vlaovic, the way he... Yeah. Uh, there is something th- th- that to it, that. of just not being afraid to shoot from various uh, situations and yeah, I like, I like it. Is the difference that <clears throat> Vlaovic is going to stay right up there as a centre forward rather than go all over the pitch? Well, well we, we, we don't know because I guess it took a long time for Kane to develop that. Mm. You, you know, a lot of time, a lot of freedom, a lot of autonomy in a, a certain team. Now, if Juventus grow at the level that they want to grow after they've gone backwards in the last couple of years, then Vlaovic doesn't get that sort of autonomy. Mm. He is a excellent player in a galaxy of stars. At the moment, you're right. But he's There's, got to be the main man. But but that's the thing. At the moment, you're right. Because of the squad. Because the squad is mid-build or mid-rebuild. Hmm. Yes, he is the outstanding player. They don't want to be in that position, though. And, of course, Federico Chiesa he is, is, is injured at the, at, at, at the moment. Re-sign. He should, yeah, he should maybe want to make that his team. But I think you do kind of come back to the recruitment with Juventus because you look at Rabiot and how he's not really developed since he's arrived. What's his best position still? I don't think he knows the answer to that. He's not anywhere near where he should be. Super lucky to stay on the pitch after that horrendous mm. foul on Chiquese. And as it was a high we were saying, boot, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. like, like yeah, studs on the knee. Straight red for and me. Yeah, it, it couldn't have been clearer. So they've got away with that a little bit, Juventus. But I think Juventus still don't have that aura. The opening to the game suggested, yes, this is Juventus about to show you the aura. But the aura never appears. And I think going into the second leg of this, especially with away goals not counting anymore, and we keep saying this, don't we, in, in the, the last 16 of the Champions League this year, and we have to because it's a big thing and it's really Huge. affecting the, the competition. Huge. Absolutely. I, th- I think you look at the way that Juventus have fallen flat on their faces, particularly at home, in the knockout stages of the Champions League in recent years. You know, you think of Porto, you think of Lyon, you think of Ajax. I think especially with that experience of Villarreal, especially with maybe them having a few more attacking tools going into the, the, the second leg, they have every right, Juventus, to feel a little bit antsy going into that. Mm. I, don't, mm. I don't think this is a given by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that's worth saying and, and bringing it back to contradict what I said in the opening. Because <laughs> it's just, maybe it's just me because I'm... Uh, because I'm young and you know Andy, my mind wanders and I'm I'm easily distracted by shiny <laughs> objects. Uh, is that when I watch Villarreal, I sometimes like guys, come on, you can do like take some more risks and do some more stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, you're right. It's one one, and uh, they've stayed in it, and they they haven't conceded more goals uh, in a situation where maybe you're, you're right, Andy. It could have gone away from them, and they do go to to Juventus to to Torino, knowing that. You know, if they score an early goal there, <laughs> suddenly it gets really awkward for, for Juventus. Yeah, I, I just wonder if there's the space there for those attacking players of Villarreal when Juventus push on to, to do something. And we saw that in the game against Atalanta, the one that was postponed because of snow, uh, that, that obviously Juventus don't empty themselves uh, in the defence quite as much as Atalanta do. Mm. Uh, but but they got uh, they caught Atalanta on the counter very, very efficiently the last time they mm. were on a away trip to Northern Italy. Uh, tweet from John here. Um, did Juventus make a mistake getting rid of Pirlo, who, for all his lack of experience, all his lack of experience was at least bringing about some youthful changes uh, to the team for the short-term appointment uh, now of Allegri, which just doesn't seem to be working large. So I would say no. I think they made a mistake in hiring him in the first place. And I don't necessarily mean that as a slight on Pirlo. My, my point here would be, as again, I'm going to name dropper again, as Nicky Bandini always says, the thing about Juventus is you know, their creed, their ethos isn't... Their ethos is that winning isn't the most important thing. Winning is the only thing. So, so Juventus just isn't a club 
for someone who is developing and finding their way as a coach. Juventus isn't a club for someone to just bring in a bit of youth. Juventus is a club where you have to win every single game, every mm. single title you're fighting for. That's where the bar is set for you. So I know they wanted, for the brand, they wanted Pirlo's celebrity status and they wanted someone who's cool and looks handsome in a suit after the sort of slightly sort of building site manager ways of Maurizio Sarri, uh, who just didn't seem a good fit. Uh, so they wanted the suaves of him. But it just was a really bizarre fit from day one. And it's kind of harsh on Pirlo, really, because he should have been, you know, finding his way in the game somewhere else at a club yeah. where he had a reasonable chance of, of building something and, and showing people what he can do. I think he was always at a hiding to nothing at Juventus, frankly. Let's move on to talk about one of the other really exciting, I think, uh, fixtures in the the first leg of the last 16. And that was between two giants. I mean, iconic, legendary clubs, because they've been around for so long. They've both got history. I remember going to Lisboa once and talking to this journalist who was the archivist of Benfica. I went into his flat. Everything was in Benfica colours. Absolutely everything dedicate his entire life to this team. Uh, you get that kind of adoration for a team with pedigree. And the same for Ajax, who took a lot of fans, I notice, down to um, uh, to see this fiction. I imagine it's going to be the same the other way around now when we go back uh, to, uh, to Amsterdam. But uh, for Benfica, this was a home result that they should have really won. I think I, I don't know because they Nelson Verissimo, the coach, said we. I'm disappointed we didn't win it afterwards. He also said he was happy with the performance, which I think is fair. I felt going into this, if you look at this fixture in previous years, not just because of, as you say, Don, the historical resonance and the parallels, you'd think because of the current economic situation. If you're Benfica drawing Ajax or Ajax drawing Benfica, what an opportunity to get mm. to the quarterfinals of the Champions mm. League. However, you look at the current state of them. You look at Ajax this season. The discussion that we've had, and I suspect we'll continue to have at least for the next three weeks nearly, of are they better than the 2019 side that got to the brink of the final? And I think there's discussion. Clearly, there's off-pitch issues with... Ajax at the moment, which have which have rocked them with the departure of Mark Overmars and how Edwin van der Sar and other elements of the club dealt with that or, or or didn't deal with that. And I think the fact that Eric Ten Hag, the coach, has kind of stepped away and say, look, we have to not think about the football side of it and just offer support to the to the victims that were harassed by Mark Overmars. Um, on the pitch. It couldn't have been going much better. They look amazing. And I think you look at this, and at the start of this, I'm like, right, okay. Not just because they won 5-1 last time they were in Lisbon against Sporting on the on the, on the first um, match day of uh, the group stages. You look at this and you think, Ajax, especially if they start strongly, are going to trounce them. Because Benfica, not in good nick at the moment, had a very, very bad second half at Bovista at the weekend where they were 2-0 up and, and then just got punked in the second half. Um, punked? They did get punked. Johnny Knoxville was very much... It, it, is, it is black and white checks at the weekend. And I, I, I think you see them coming into that and you talked about the passion and the occasion and the setting and the history at the Estadio Deluge. And I think that's absolutely right. I think that is the difference between Benfica getting pasted in this and remaining competitive because they are lifted mm. by that crowd. Even when it's two-thirds full, the Estadio Deluge is very, very atmospheric. And when they go 1-0 down early on, when Dusan Tadic scores, you think, okay, here we go. They manage to get themselves back into it. They spend a lot of the half hanging on it, even though they go... In, into half time 2-1 down uh, Benfica the way they come out and impose their will on the occasion in that second half 
is very, very impressive because they're, they're a team that they've got nothing else to play for this season. They, they lost the Portuguese League Cup final. They're out of the Portuguese Cup. They're probably going to go and get themselves a new coach. There is so much up in the air, but there's just a sense of their better players looking at each other in that second half and going, come on, we're going to give this hell. And you look at Darwin Nunez, stands up, brilliant second half. Ajax don't really let him get into the game in the first half. And I think um, Adam Summerton, who was commentating on this last night, put it really, really well. He said, um, you know, Darwin just refused to be locked out of the game. He said, right, th- this is this is a big occasion and I, I'm going I'm to force myself into this match. And that's exactly what he did. I thought young Gonzalo Ramos was excellent. Of course, he had the equaliser from... Yaremchuk, and there's that amazing moment where he's taking his shirt off, and you know what's coming. You know, you know, there's the Ukrainian symbol. It's going to be a lot on of his that. t-shirt. There, I think there will be. be a lot of that. Oh, actually. of course, of yeah. course, there will be, and he's being swarmed by his teammates. So you know, I know what's on the t-shirt, but get off him yeah. so I can see the t-shirt yeah. because you know it's a moment where you know he's feeling so much in the in the occasion because it is a it is a huge occasion but i think the way that benfica mastered the emotions of the occasion in the second half was very very impressive and again it's another one of those ones last where the away goals not counting as extra makes an enormous difference to the second leg no, it does. It makes a big difference. And I'm just stuck with the, <laughs> the, the Boa Vista edition of Punked. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher running around in a residential neighborhood in Porto, sort of annoying the locals. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be very, very good. Also, on 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 Darwin Nunes, would you say that there has been some kind of evolution? Oh, I knew it was coming. I, 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 was, I thought it's that like, was my line. I was going to wait for that. It's like that you're, you're tied actually... to a train track and the joke is coming towards you and you just you can't wiggle See, out. See, like, like your Remchuk's t-shirt, I knew it was coming, but I still wanted it to. Yeah. I yeah. always give props where it's due and that is actually David Cartilage's, you know, so you can borrow it for now, Lars. Which one? Yeah, of course it is. The oh, evolution God. of Darwin. It's as old as a hill. God Trust me. Well, it's, it's, it's been there since he was at Almeria, at the very least. It's been, I thought it was there since the creation of time. Let's <laughs> let's get back to this game. The reason why I thought that um, Benfica should have won it is because of that second half. First of all... Yeah, they were irresistible. They were. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. But even before that, you know, when you start seeing, um, you know, defenders going up, up front, you know that they really want it. On the other hand, Ajax, Ajax... Their main man, uh, Sebastian Haller, my goodness, he was... Too potent. Exactly. <laughs> Cannot be stopped. Well, too hungry <laughs> for the Champions yeah. League goals. <laughs> but, but, but on both, in both exactly ends. Exactly right. Both ends. But what was he doing uh, playing <laughs> centre-back for that own goal? No, I, he was just back defending, you know. Haller is a man for all seasons. No, Except West Ham supposed to be there. Yeah, of course. Okay. You know, we we posed this question earlier on on the ramble last. I mean, it, Aller himself has said it 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 just wasn't a fit no. at, at West Ham. Um, you're you're a fan, and actually, we've had a, a tweet an enthusiastic here, one, a very in fact, I am one. the doyen of the Sebastian Aller is terrific society. So stay away <laughs> from that like, acronym. Let the agri- acronym there sink Oh in. my god. <laughs> But we've, 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 we've had this tweet from Nathan here. It says, what do the panel make of Sebastian Allais' performances since moving to Ajax? He's been outstanding. Is it because the Eredivisie is lower in quality than the Premier League? Or is that too lazy a comment to make? Well, there's something in that, isn't there, clearly. But he's doing it at a historic level in the Champions League. Yeah, no, obviously, there's no secret. Being a number nine for Ajax in the Eredivisie is an easier gig than being a number nine for, for David Moyes' West Ham, just in terms of what's desired of you. I feel like I have to share with the listeners at home Dot Nadabayu's look and facial expression uh, when he heard about the Sebastian Aller is terrific society. It was sort of, it was like he was teetering. He couldn't quite decide if he was delighted or disappointed in me. It was like a little bit of both. I was, uh, I, I was trying to learn how to spell puerile. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you come before the E or yeah, vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, he gave, uh, Sebastian Aller gave a very interesting interview to, to The Guardian this week, actually, where he spoke about the, the 
the David Moyes thing, and he, he, the way he said it was because he was brought in by uh, by, by by Pellegrini uh, by Pellegrino uh, and uh, by Pellegrini probably. Pellegrino, <laughs> 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 very different. Um, by by, by Pellegrini uh, and. And, and him and David Moyes were kind of stuck with each other. You know, David Moyes wanted a different type of striker. And uh, because, you know, they, they sit back quite a lot and they hit people on the counter and stuff. And when he was playing for West Ham, he was always very isolated, Allaire. He, he was kind of... I remember looking at when he was struggling, because I've always been a fan, and I was trying to find out, like, why is he why is not working? And I remember looking at the stats, and he was sort of winning more headers than any other forward in the Premier League. So he was like, he was winning the long balls. It was just, there was no one there to, to pick them up. And they, he, he, the striker at West Ham, and I know we're just straying off base for on the continent, but, but the striker at West Ham has to do a lot of things. You know, the, the reason Mikel Antonio is doing such a good job is that he's a bit of sort of an agent of chaos, like a one-man attack. He sort of can run at people and, and, and do a Loads of different things. Allaire really thrives when he has people around him. And this goes all the way back to when he was so good at Frankfurt. It wasn't just about him. It was about the connection he had with Luka Jovic. It was about the connection Rebic. he had with Rebic as well. Yeah. And it's probably not a coincidence that all of those three initially struggled after moving away from each other. I mean, Rebic did all right. I but, agree. but Jovic really wasn't the same. And Allaire initially struggled. Now he's at Ajax. I think he's a club who, you know, he's been scoring goals. But he also has quite a few assists for them. Because they're so much better at using him as a reference point in attack and getting players in and around him and not just leaving him to fend for himself I totally agree and I think it's interesting that the goals kind of don't really tell the story about his technical excellence no. uh, about you know uh, at the end of a game in which he missed a couple of sitters and scored that own goal it seems a bit of an anachronism obviously but of course having players like Dushan Tadic who's still wonderful Anthony who's going to be an absolute superstar that clearly helps, but there's more of a potential for you to look horrendously out of place mm, mm. if you're not technically very, very good. Mm. And he is. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Who's, who's going to win the second leg of this, you think? Because uh, it's a tight one, isn't it? It's, uh, I thought they were relatively evenly matched, but you're going back to Amsterdam now. Ajax, you've already suggested, were the favourites, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I think, what is the difference between... We talked about the difference between Ajax now and Ajax 2018-19 when they got to the brink of the final. The interesting thing about that younger side, that uh, Ajax side that we remember so well, and De Ligt, De Jong, etc., etc., Ziyech, is that they struggle to emotionally master the occasions in Amsterdam. And because they were so brilliant on the road, because they won at Spurs, because they in the first leg because they won at Real Madrid with some comfort because they won at Juventus we were so dazzled by that it's like well, hang on they came up short in all the home legs we talked about Lisbon and Estadio de Luz being atmospheric Johan Cruyff Arena is atmospheric as well and those younger players really struggled to deal with those occasions and you know they got caught on the hop and it took Real Madrid particularly taking their eye off the ball to give the inkling of that opportunity for Ajax to do their best at the, at the Bernabeu and how they took that opportunity. I think this is where that side is a little bit further on because we've seen them in the groups be very, very convincing at home. You know, they absolutely hammered Dortmund. I realise that doesn't put them in a class of one this season and Dortmund clearly have their defensive issues. But still, Ajax were, were excellent. I think that makes it a very difficult task for Benfica Having said that, what Benfica have to go back and cling on to is the fact that if we, we were talking about the qualifiers, if you go all the way back to the qualifiers, which they're going to have to do again next season, is the way they got into the Champions League group stages in the first place. They really toughed out a win against an excellent, at the time, PSV side um, in Lisbon. And then they got a nil-nil draw in the away leg when Lucas Verissimo, the best defender who's currently covering from a serious knee injury, he was sent off in the first half and you're thinking shit, they're up against it here. But they really knuckled down. And for all their flair players, they put in a really battling performance to keep PSV at arm's length and get themselves into the group. So they're going to need plenty of that going into the the, the, the second leg. Dindy Blind, alleen naar het doel van MVV. Gaat schieten? Nee, hij legt af. Overmars! Wat een treffer van Ajax hier in de geuzeld. Applaus! For 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Have you ever wondered what happened to all those space-age promises that previous generations thought we'd have by now? You know, heading out for the day on your own personal flying cars or working on a space hotel somewhere in the far reaches of our solar system. Where are all those amazing inventions? Well, we're here to find out more on my new podcast, Where's My Jetpack? I'm Sarah Credis, space expert, TV host and author. Join me and Luke Moore every week as we look into retrofuturistic tech that never was to decide whether it's still just science fiction or if some of these discoveries are actually a lot closer than you think. I think we're very close to that happening on a, an even more regular basis. And what I think is interesting about that, too, is that's going to make the accessibility of getting to space available for more and more people. So if you've ever wondered whether we'll one day speak to aliens light years away or you'll be flying to work on a jetpack, this is the podcast for you. Think of the car park in spaces. They need what to be mean? massive. No, really the wings can fold up. Well, they don't exist. No, some of the cars um, which were designed had wings which folded up. Are you happy getting in a plane knowing the wings fold up? Yeah. I, right. I trust engineering. Trust the science. Search Where's My Jetpack on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Sandy, you've been on your travels. Um, yes. And when in Rome did you do as the Romans do? Um, if you mean get apoplectically angry at their first half performance against Verona. Maybe not quite. Well, um, you mentioned Verona. <laughs> what the Romans do when Verona come to town is say, two households, both for like indignity. Here we go. Here, oh. Verona, where we lay our scene, at least allow me. I, I feel like in this case, the two households were not alike in dignity. One was slightly further lower down than the other. <laughs> I'll take that back. Yeah, I mean, if, 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 if we're talking about two houses in dignity, you know, Lazio are not exactly in the box seat at the moment either. But um, yeah, the uh, the whole Roma situation is is, is fascinating to me, and it it, it was anyway. Um, but what I think you get more of a sense of when you're there is we talked about it right at the beginning, and that when Mourinho signed for Roma, the way he was received in Italy as you know is the homecoming of you know one of the greatest of coaches and maybe that's contextual because you know you look at the fact that Serie A on the benches is playing the hits this season you know we've got Allegri back we've got Spalletti we've got Maurizio Sarri uh, uh, at Napoli uh, uh, um, Lazio sorry and um, you know we've, we've got Mourinho and you know the way that Mourinho was portrayed it's like they felt that they were receiving 2010 Mourinho, mm-hmm. which, as Lars, I'm sure, will be delighted to expand on. <laughs> they're not. Well, but, but it's kind of funny to me because we see this in this country, in the UK, often. Uh, 
with things like when Cristiano Ronaldo comes back to United and when Gareth Bale went back on loan to Tottenham. So people have just not seen any of the things that have happened since they were last in the league. It's really funny to me yeah. that the, the exact same dynamic has happened here in Italy that basically they're maybe they don't get like maybe they don't get the Premier League on TV in, in Italy so they haven't seen either Mourinho's United or his Tottenham team that that's just kind of flew them by entirely or I don't know maybe they get it but they don't watch it because yeah, they yeah. think their football is I mean I to be fair not watching his United or Tottenham's team would have been good life decisions at the time that is a good point because you wonder you know did they not Zing. see no that's a very good point because those are two spectacular failures failures one off to the other and so that should raise the eyebrows shouldn't it and what I think is more remarkable though is that that feeling has stuck the, the, the fact that the Roma fans are so on side or the majority of mm. Roma fans certainly in the stadium and the ultras are still on side with, with Mourinho, which to me is remarkable. After that first half performance, which was, I can't think of a, a first half performance from a team in the flesh that I've seen that was worse than that 45 minutes against Verona. You know, and I've been to a lot of football this season. I've seen Manchester United in the flesh. Um, my own personal been, been team. Been to a few Newcastle games before they started improving. <laughs> yeah, my, my own team who plays in League One. I haven't, I haven't won for 13 games at the moment. But it was awful. There were no redeeming features to it whatsoever. And yet, you know, you go back to November and there was this banner saying, we will, we will, we will follow Mourinho into hell. From you don't have to. This is why you want to sit these people down and say, listen, <laughs> and then, it's not, it's like, you, you don't need to do this. But, but, but then, uh, you know, in between, the other Verona game, I went 2-0 down with this awful performance, came back in the second half. And funnily enough, this is, this is the twist on the Mourinho yeah. thing, that the young players, it was the young what done it. I, I think, you not, know, you look at the, you look at the substitutes, you, you get the cr first ever goal by the 18-year-old Christian Volpato, who was excellent. Eduardo Bove made, made a difference as well. He scored the equaliser, first goal for the club at 19. Um, Zalewski on, on the left-hand side, he was the most dynamic player on the pitch in the second half. And Mourinho, talking of playing the hits, when he takes issue to um, uh, with 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 a refereeing decision, he's got the ball and is about to throw it back. He wow. boots it into the stand instead, gets a booking. Mm. Later, his assistants hold him back from going onto the pitch, and he gets a second yellow card. At which point, he is roundly applauded by the Olimpico crowd as he goes <laughs> down the tunnel. Sorry. And then on Monday at Trigoria in training, there's this banner saying. Our passion, your know-how. This will take Roma on to further greatness. And you're like, will it? It's like this sort of Stockholm syndrome. Uh, yeah. I, I can't yeah, yeah. really get my head around. It's, it's, clearly it's, it's, it's there are issues with the Roma squad. Like It is but, obviously laudable that they want to follow their manager into hell, but... Can we, as an original thought, hire a manager who just will take them somewhere else? <laughs> like, it just, it just, going to hell has, doesn't have to be the only option here. Um, I, I just think it's, if we could just, I know it's really hard with Mourinho because there's always so much, like, discourse and narrative around him. Can you not just kind of strip it down for a minute and, and, and look at Just say that the coach is just a, a coach in charge. Mm. Or just let's pretend his name is like Desadabi or something. <laughs> they hide someone fun. And, 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 and Roma went out and spent more money in the window than anyone else last summer, which they did. And we were sat here in February after 26 games and they're worse off than they were last year. If, if that was the case, and it was anyone else, you'd be saying, well, this guy isn't doing a very good job, you know? But because it's Mourinho, and he's lighting all these fires everywhere, uh, the discussion is always a completely different one. And and I and obviously this this tends to always feed into all oh, is Mourinho past it, which is also kind of like a, a sidetrack. I think I think the the better thing would be to just watch the team play and ask yourself: Is the coach doing a good job here? You know, do they have an identity? Is there anything they're particularly good at? And and and, and I struggle to find the answer to that here, really. And the fascinating thing is that because it's Mourinho, because he's picking all these fights and there's all this discourse around him, it's kind of distracting you from what's actually happening on the pitch. But that's and always a way We could maybe Mourinho. flippantly say that maybe it, actually starting these sort of bogus culture wars to distract <laughs> the electorate from the fact that you're not actually improving their lives in any measurable way 
seems to be a winning strategy. I don't, I don't know where Mourinho has picked this up. Did you? <laughs> he want, is, if nothing else, he is a student of current events. Did, did you want to kiss the flag as well? <laughs> um, getting into the politics of this, but Roma could perhaps have lost this. The uh, coach gets sent off, and they seem to. It doesn't seem to affect them negatively. You wonder whether Mourinho has lost the importance of being Mourinho on the sideline, yeah, which I'm, is full of the antics that uh, Lai says. Yeah, I mean, they are they are miles off. I mean, they're miles off in statistical terms. You know, they're, they're not making the top four. I, I, I had some, you know, when you get annoying online pop-ups, I had an annoying online pop-up that asked me, did I think Mourinho would... Made the top four. It's a guy right up to the top kind of four this season. And, uh, uh, pop-ups do you get? I, know, it, it, I just I, get I, I mean, like... the, the, the algorithms, it doesn't um, say much for me. I mean, it, I was about to say what I get, but like... I suddenly just decided, nope. <laughs> Step down a dark path. The only pop-ups uh, yeah. I get is uh, Dot and Annie by Sebastian Haller in, uh, what was the other T? The T? <laughs> I, I get a lot of stuff about funeral homes yeah. and life insurance. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. the, the algorithm thinks I'm they a very old me. man. They meant for me. They went to you. <laughs> anyway, enough of the jokes. Mourinho, he lost his rag, but he hasn't lost Roma. For you know, many other coaches, they'd be under pressure getting sent off like that. It's not a good look. It's not for the first time. But he's got his his claws or his speciality firmly hooked into Roma and well, the fans. I, I think th there's, there's still a belief in him at the moment. There's an interesting situation where he's got a two match ban to serve. And so, so does his uh, chief assistant, his goalkeeping coach and uh, the sporting director, Thiago Pinto, which is, is, is quite interesting. Now, Lars talked about the, the, the culture wars. The next step in that might be, inviting Francesco Totti back to the club wow. because he fell out quite badly being a director of the club with the previous ownership with um, Jim Palotta, with Baldini, who he never got on with it anyway. And if, like the, apparently the relationship between them is quite good. If he brings Totti back into the club, it's just another layer of protection for him. But Totti always said he wanted influence. Whether he really gets that with Mourinho, who knows? But it's something obviously that would be enormously popular with the supporters. And bearing in mind that until what December, Totti had not been to a game for two years at the Olympico, which is unthinkable. Remember when he left Roma as a director, he said it was worse than dying. You know, he was obviously devastated by it. And now he was there on Saturday night, sat next to Daniele De Rossi, just in case you thought it was light on the symbolism. <laughs> and, and now, you know, this thawing of relations, there's a lot that can be forgiven when, you know, that's that's the case. And I think Palotta is still taking the heat for the state that the squad's been, been left in. Do remember that you can tweet us at any point during the course of the week. You can tweet us at Football Ramble at Lars Severston, at Andy Brassel, and at Dotton Anibai. We've got a tweet here from Graham who says, is it inevitable now where uh, championship stroke European places in top European leagues will be decided by playoffs after the Bundesliga record announced, oh, sorry, recent announcement? What was that announcement? Well, it was about a survey um, put to uh, various clubs um, asking if they would be interested in um, a, a sort of championship group. So like you have in um, Belgium, most famously, but also Romania, Ukraine, where there's a little cutoff point and then the top six like have their points reduced or cut in half and then, then play off for the championship. A bit like the NBA playoffs, I suppose you could you could argue, and there was a suggestion that this would be a remedy to Bayern's dominance of the Bundesliga. Firstly, I'm not sure if it is. Secondly, there is far from consensus over whether this would <clears throat> be something that the clubs are are willing to accept. Interestingly, Bayern were more open to the idea than a lot of the clubs who would arguably, from some perspectives, benefit from it. So the, 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 basically the clubs who, who aren't buying. Um, I think this is a very long way off happening. 
Um, I think this would be a little... It's far from inevitable because of that resistance. And I think as well, it would be a little bit too much of a, a move towards the Super League. It's To me, it's a cosmetic move, especially in the case of the, 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 the Bundesliga. If a team's, you know, 10 points clear and... Or, or more in the case of Bayern in some cases, or, you know, you could say if if a similar thing was to be done in Ligue 1 with Paris Saint-Germain or, or, or whatever. Or the Premier the, League, yeah, which arguably you know, yeah. one or two teams run away with it. Well. Yeah, they, they, they've, uh, you know, there's still a huge lead at the top um, with few games to, 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 to catch it up. So this manufacturing of these, you know, blue ribbon, matches towards the end of the the, the, the season. It's gerrymandering, isn't it? It feels it feels it feels super leaguey to yeah. me. Uh, and which obviously I'm I'm not hugely in, in, in favour favour of. I think as well it completely ignores what are the real issues. In in terms of budgetary restrictions in terms of fair competition, they don't want to deal in terms with that, of player hoarding. Exactly. They don't want to do exactly. And I'd love to hear Larsha's view on this as well, because as Andy's points out, there is a real fundamental issue in several leagues across Europe now, which is that one or two teams dominate because they've got a lot more money than everybody exactly. else. Exactly. It's not a Bundesliga cl- a problem. It's a super club problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, the the financial disparities of the Premier League or all the leagues in, in Europe is something that concerns me. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know how you sort of uh, even out the differences. I mean, you can distribute the TV money better, distribute the EFA money better, but you're not going to get the major stakeholders to agree with on it. The big clubs will just go away and make a Super League if you try it. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what the solution is. The the playoff thing is funny. I I I conceptually don't hate the idea of a sort of NFL MLS style proper playoff at the end of it, but I'm such a traditionalist that I can think of it as a concept, and I enjoy the the playoffs when they come around in in MLS. But when I sort of sit down and try to think of actually having it in a league that I'm used to following, <laughs> when I'm sit down, when I, the reality of having a an end of season sort of trophy playoff in in the Bundesliga or in Serie A or in La Liga, it just feels really wrong. It, we're just not used to it. it and I guess does I, until you, it, as long as you've got promotion and relegation, you need to look at it from the sort of one division down, yeah. and then you get playoffs. Well, we're kind of used to that. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I maybe that's just tradition, but I just feel like the idea that we have leagues and then we have cup cup competitions next to it feels like a nice balance to me the real problem of course is the stratification of the game and a handful of super clubs uh, becoming richer and richer and, and sort of moving away from everyone and uh, the boring answer is I don't know how to fix it if I knew how to fix it I'd be lobbying UEFA and telling them what to do uh, but I find it very very difficult gentlemen your games of the week we've teed it up by saying we've yes. had cracking first leg yes. uh, dramas in the Champions League yeah. that was this week what's coming up I'm, I'm breaking week? all the rules I'm, I'm picking a Thursday afternoon game Thursday. I mean is the pod even out before this game starts we don't know but listen if you are lucky enough to hear this before the game starts you got to watch more the game versus Celtic yes. the return leg Celtic this go up Celtic go north of the Arctic Circle no I've joke. already seen photos on social media today of sort of Celtic fans in the snow up in Buda. Um Buda, of course, surprising everyone and beating Celtic in the first leg. And I will also say surprise everyone. You'll know, listeners will know, there's no greater sort of flag bearer for the great cause of Buda in the English football media than myself. But I did not see the first leg result coming, I have to admit. I thought them beating Celtic, I thought they could have done it a few months ago, but they lost, I mean, over the winter, they lost their sort of chief ball-playing centre-half they lost their left back who was a really important attacking outlet he went to Hertha Berlin uh, they, the, the centre half went to Schalke they lost their sort of midfield enforcer in Patrick Berg who went to Lens in Liga they lost the centre forward Eric Botheim who went to Krasnodar for like 10 million euros so they lost four key players and you're off season you haven't played a competitive game for months you've just played a couple of friendlies on a training camp and you go straight in and have to play at Celtic Park I didn't think they could do it against an improving Celtic who very recently wiped the floor with, with Rangers uh, but they just went there and they were brave and they played their own game and they weren't cowed and it was remarkable to watch um, they and enjoy a, their football a, don't they, they it just, was a really good game and they, uh, with such you know the thrill and uh, they, they I think they play with 
a little uh, humility that they you can almost see that they know that they're lucky that, you know they're fortunate they're enjoying to, the occasion to, yeah, enjoying they're enjoying it. the occasion but yeah. what I thought was the coach said before the game that what they were going to do is they were going to play their own game because they reckon Celtic were not used to people coming to Celtic Park mm. and just playing football and, and passing the ball and people are usually a little bit intimidated by the atmosphere and they were going to give them problems they weren't used to by going out and playing and that's it's easy to say that before the game. Not as easy to do it in front of in front of everyone. And and they did it so well. And so they've got a good sort of starting point for the return leg uh, to this afternoon. Uh, so if you can catch the game, just because I think it'll be entertaining. Celtic have to go for it. And Bordeaux Glimt are a really good team to watch. And of course, we need a food pairing to go with it. Are yeah, you've got to have some. So what fish. you're going with? Yeah, some, some fish. fish. You've got to have some. You've got to have some salmon. It's not, if it's, it's not herring. Salmon specifically. Bordeaux Glimt are are sponsored by. <laughs> Uh, salmon company so you know you've got to have some salmon uh, now very specifically this is slightly left wing but you can compl- you can definitely go sushi here because one, one of Bodo Glimp's things is that the club holds the Guinness World Record for the largest ever sushi mosaic <laughs> which they created as part of the 100 year anniversary oh, celebration a couple of days ago so they made a giant uh, sushi mosaic uh, alongside their partners of course uh, which was 50, 56 square meters big and included a whopping 800 kilos of salmon <laughs> 400 kilos of rice 200 liters of rice vinegar 480 kilos of cucumber and 10 ki- kilos of chives I can't imagine that. so they've made a very very big sushi mosaic well, before uh, that, I was, I'm wondering I was if everything say, got. I kind of hope things got eaten. I mean, that would have gotten really stinky afterwards. <laughs> before that, I was I was going to say with all that sort of lovely transfer money making its way up to the Arctic Circle, I'm expecting a pretty good present off Santa next year. <laughs> but I guess they've spent it all on sushi already, right? My thought was, you know, if they didn't make it into the Guinness Book of Records after all that, some of those fish would be gutted. Oh, oh, oh my god! Oh. Moving swiftly on, yes. Oh. I um, there there were two huge games in La Liga on Sunday. Um, the first one, I will be doing a viewing party Ooh. in Newcastle. Um, with, At yours? No, 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 okay, no. Because no, no. I was going to come around with, 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 uninvited. With La Liga for El Gran Derby between uh, Sevilla and Betis. That's 3.15 in the afternoon. It's going to be terrific, especially with them flying high in La Liga. If if you're not around and about for to to come down, I would suggest that um, you watch Barcelona versus Athletic in the evening. Of course, Barcelona will be coming off their um, Europa League trip to to Napoli, which is not easy. Barcelona greatly improved. Um, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang hat trick at Valencia on his debut, following the footsteps of of uh, another French speaker in Thierry Henry. Um, but Athletic have been terrific in this last couple of months. Um, I know uh, our man Cartledge is a big fan. I think this is going to be an absolutely huge game. Huge. What are you going to eat with it? <laughs> Leftover sushi, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it. It doesn't travel. Ulrich Saltness to Werden. Thanks, This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.